In today's episode of the Legendary Life Podcast, we welcome Joe DiBernardo to the show. Joe is a former NFL player. He is a personal trainer extraordinaire. He works with the same type of clients that I do, except he works in a very, very exclusive part of Miami Beach, as if Miami Beach wasn't exclusive enough. He works in a, in a place which he'll tell you about. And he has an amazing story of what it took to get to the NFL and what happened after he left. And Joe is such an inspiration. He's a guy who uh, we're working together. We're, we're friends. We actually uh, met at the seminar that I did with Matt Pack, not but a couple months ago. And you're going to hear Joe's story. You're going to hear what happened after he got out of the NFL and what he's up to today. And Joe is going to be someone who is, uh, you're going to hear a lot more of in the future because he's on to big things, my friends. And I'm, it's my pleasure to introduce him to you. So with no further ado, let's get to the interview with Joe DiBernardo. Welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Rice, and today I have a very, very special guest. Yes, I know I always say that, but I especially mean it today because I got a friend of mine. His name is Joe DiBernardo. He is a former NFL player. He is a guy who's developed a personal training business in one of the most exclusive residences one of the most affluent residences in the whole United States. And Joe, you and I met a few months ago at a seminar that I did with Matt Pack. We met there and we hit it off and we've been kind of going on an adventure together ever since, which hopefully we can talk a bit about with the Toastmasters and the improv okay. and all that. But I'd love to hear you share that story of how you got to where you are today. Thanks, Ted. Well, I run a business, personal training business on Fisher Island, and I've done so for the last 15 years. It's a place called Fisher Island, and it is a highly exclusive residence right off the tip of Miami Beach, where you actually have to take a ferry boat over to the island to get there. So it's quite interesting development as well as a community. I got into the business shortly after my football career. I got into the business really kind of by accident, actually. I, I, I was still trying to further my football career and figured if I got into the fitness industry, it would help to keep me in shape and keep my mind in the gym and continuing to pursue my goal of playing in the NFL. Unfortunately, I wasn't re-signed by another team, so I had to make a move at this point. It was a very rough time in my life without question. I think most athletes go through that period of transitioning from the sport that they really just ate and breathed and just lived in it for most of their life, and then to have it taken away so sudden was just... Uh, very difficult but those are the periods that we go through right in life so I started this actually I started as a weight room attendant wiping down machines and passing out water 
if you can believe it. It was very humbling, and I started doing that a couple days a week. I figured I could do that, right? It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. And then eventually got certified and started uh, training residents on the island. And from there, it just snowballed and took off. And here I am 15 years later, and it's been very good to me, the business. Yeah, awesome, man. And thanks for sharing that story about what you went through after you didn't get signed back up, but you've gone on to create this great business for yourself and training in in this really exclusive area. Like we were talking about earlier, it's like people don't realize the amount of wealth and crazy stuff that we're surrounded by on a day-to-day basis, basically because we're around it all the time. It doesn't matter, but it's always, I think, cool for other people to hear that. Joe, you know, people hear that you're a former NFL player and you are like a physical specimen. You're a tall, muscular, in-shape dude, but you have a really interesting backstory about being a kid who wasn't in very good shape at a time. Can you talk about like your journey from when you were that kid, that out of shape, overweight kid, and how you made it to the NFL, which is, man, that's the pinnacle of professional sport when it comes to football. There's nothing higher level than that. So can you share that story? Sure, sure. I'll try not to take up the entire session with this story. But yes, I was an overweight kid growing up. I'm born and raised here in Miami. I grew up in a predominantly Cuban neighborhood. And I bring that up because I was a bit of of an outcast, actually. I was the minority growing up in this neighborhood. I was blonde hair, blue eyes, and I didn't speak Spanish. So a lot of kids made fun of me growing up because of that. Plus, I was overweight, too. So... I believe this is the true reason why I turned to fitness and to sports was to gain some type of respect or acceptance among my peers and etc. So I started playing soccer at a very young age. Uh, I was a just a diehard soccer player. I mean, we played all year round. I played with t- on teams, the national teams. We traveled all over the country, internationally as well. My coaches coached in Spanish, and that's how I started to really learn Spanish and started to adapt. Instead of trying to fight against this language barrier or being like the outcast, I just started trying to adapt. So soccer was my number one sport, but then I was introduced to football pretty early on because I have an older brother who is very sports oriented. He's a two-time All-American wrestler, but just a sports fanatic. And whatever sport was in season, we played it. So when football season came around, you can believe that we were out in the front yard or anywhere around the neighborhood playing football amongst the other kids in the neighborhood. So it just kind of took off from there. But I was overweight, so I wasn't able to play Pop Warner or or make weight for any of these little youth teams. So I just played in the street, and we played tackle in the street or, you know, in the yard till about my, I think, junior high is when I finally played my first organized football. And then it took off from, well, I wouldn't say took off, but that's when I really started to fall in love with the sport, actually wearing the gear and the contact and so forth and so on. And I played at a good high school here in Miami, but I really didn't make a lot of noise till 
maybe my senior year. I had a really good senior year, and I was awarded Defensive Player of the Year. But even at that, I had no college scholarship offers. It was like crickets out there. <laughs> and back then, it was really up to us to to market ourselves. So I put together a little tape, a little highlight reel, and... I sent it out to some schools, and my father and I, never forget this, we jumped in a station wagon, in his station wagon at the time, and we hit the road to go visit about a half dozen schools. I just knew that after high school, I just really wanted to continue playing football more than anything, whether it was just to put on that college uniform on the next level, I just didn't want to stop playing. I love the sport so much. Everything about it from just obviously the contact of the sport and the friendships you develop on the field and the teammates and all of that fun stuff. But the training, the fitness aspect and the conditioning, it really started to shape me as a person physically as well as mentally. So I was able to grow out of that overweight fat kid stage and into a more grown muscular individual. So, and I like that. And that really drove me as well. So not only did working out in the off season and seeing those results drive me, but it also at the same time drove me to be a better player on the field. So it was like a perfect match, right? So from there, I landed up finally choosing a school to walk on in college. So I wasn't What's that mean walk on? So walking on means you're not offered a scholarship, but teams or schools will invite you to play football but without a scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so I visited a uh, one college. I visited several actually, like I said about a half dozen, but the one that really jumped out at me was my alma mater, which is Appalachian State University, and when we visited the football recruiting coordinator, he explained to me that there were four starters on defense that were former walk-ons. So I said to myself, this is the place for me because these guys are getting chances to play on the field. And so I chose to go to school there. And by my sophomore year, I was actually starting. Awesome. So I hit some pretty good numbers with my performances on the field and one thing led to another. I started getting some attention my junior year from some pro scouts, which this was something, of course, it's a dream for every young athlete or football player to aspire to go to the NFL. But honestly, it wasn't something that I was like expecting to do. I remember I just wanted to play at the college level put on that uniform, even if it was just run out there on kickoff or play special teams. But as soon as I got there, after the first practice, I knew I could play at this university and I knew I could start. So like I said, I landed up being a three-year starter, sophomore, junior, and senior year. And by my senior year, I was getting a lot of attention. Actually, by the end of my junior year, I was getting a lot of attention. Things were going great. And I was really looking forward to my senior year in college. It was going to be my big year. And I was going to really just take it to another level. I had decided to stay up and train all summer with the team. 
which living in Miami, that's tough to give up because I would come down here in the summers and, and train and head back up to the mountains in the fall. But I decided I was going to do that to really just, you know, give everything that I needed to give. And right before the summer, I was getting ready to head back up there. Excuse me, I did head back up there. I was up getting ready to start my last summer training before my senior year in college. I unexpectedly lose my father with an unexpected heart attack. And that was a major blow. I was completely numb when that happened. And I got that phone call and I remember I was in the gym working out and my strength coach came up to me. By the way, my strength and conditioning coach played a major role in my college career in athletics, who I've learned very a lot from and, and apply a lot of those things. Anyway, I got this horrible call and shockingly enough, my father had passed away so that was a tough one to have to rebound from and I didn't have much time because we're talking just maybe two months away from the first game of my senior year. So overcoming that, I just used it as fuel to the fire. I mean, I was already so focused that just put me on another level of being focused and had a really solid senior year, solid enough to get enough attention from some scouts, from a lot of scouts actually. And I will admit, we had some studs on our team that brought some attention as well to our school, which gave me some more exposure. So in conclusion, by the end of my senior year, in preparation for working out for these NFL scouts, I worked out for about 28 NFL teams. And Is that the combine? It wasn't. I was not invited to the combine. Again, here we go with, I was like that under the radar guy. Going to college, I was under the radar. And coming out of college and going to the next level on, in the pros, I was under the radar again. But there was one team that really took a liking to me. And that was the San Diego Chargers. And I worked out for them twice. Once for their scout and once for their linebackers coach and both really liked me and they offered me a contract. So I wasn't actually drafted. I was actually signed immediately after the draft as a free agent. So again, it's kind of like a walk-on in a way, but the team this time has to actually sign you to a contract and bring you into camp. You can't just walk on and say, hey, I want to play. So that's how that works. So I was signed by the Chargers. I'll never forget, I got a phone call like a day after the draft. And again, it was like one of those things I was trying not to really, you know, bank on going to the NFL and all of that because it's such a long shot. It's 1% of college athletes get to go to the next level. Yeah. And so what happens is you land. But again, the only way to do something, right, and to get somewhere is to go 100% at it, whether it's through working out physically and mentally. So I fell into that. This is an all in. I was like, I was in. So as much as I tried to not get my hopes up so high so that I wouldn't have such a, a big crash if I wasn't picked up, I was in it, man, because this was my the love of my life that I've just been involved in for since I was a kid, and this is it. 
if I don't get picked up, I'm moving on. So I got the call a day after the draft and the scout called me and said, hey, Joe, this is Don from the San Diego Chargers. He said, we don't have much bonus money to offer you, but we like to know if you're still available and you want to come in and we like to sign you and bring you into camp. And I said, hell yeah. I said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm available. And he said, okay, done deal. This was on Monday. On Thursday, I was on a plane heading out to San Diego. Wow. So it was an unbelievable chain of events to just go from being in that college dorm to in the mess hall with guys like Junior Seau, who I, by the way, had his picture posted up in my locker as one of my idols. And here I am sitting next to him in meetings. I played linebacker too, the same position. So unbelievable. Unbelievable. Man, that is such an awesome story, Joe. I've heard parts of it, but I've never heard you tell it the way you just told it. Very powerful, man. And I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask you from that. But I think the thing that stands out the most is how did it feel like being part of the elite, like you said, 1% of athletes get to go on, 1% of college athletes get to go on to the next level. How did it feel being that kid working his ass off, overweight kid, driving forward, always the underdog to finally making it in the NFL? How did it feel when you got that call, man? Well, let me see. It was, I immediately started crying. I just emotionally felt so close to my father right then at that point he had attended every one of my games my junior year and we had an amazing team we went undefeated that year the only team to go undefeated in ASU history and my father was there for every game so he was my biggest supporters my father and my mother obviously so when I got the call was just emotionally I was overwhelmed didn't know what was going to happen if I was going to make the team etc but just making it and getting that call and giving that chance and it was just extremely overwhelming but I was also very well prepared physically and mentally so when I got to camp it was on it wasn't like stargazing or anything like that it was a little bit of a that first day of like okay these guys are guys that i've watched on tv since i was really junior high some of those guys were pretty old right so but you're there to earn a job you're there to get a job and so really that's when that really ignites is when you actually get there and you're on that level playing with the elite you're elevation of play in my case just went up exponentially wow so it took you it's so interesting to hear because the majority of people who will ever hear this interview will never play in the nfl whether they're into football or not and to hear that you yeah i like how when you got the call like it was this culmination of all your hard work all your sacrifice and all the support that your parents gave you and yeah that brief overwhelm for a few I guess minutes or whatever it was, but then you're like back to work, baby. And you were prepared mentally, physically to go in and to show everybody that you meant business and that you definitely were supposed to be there. That is uh, powerful. A- another question, like I mentioned, I've competed as an athlete in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu 
all amateur stuff. And there's going to be some amateur athletes listening to this. I'm not sure if any professional athletes are listening at this time. But for those of us who will never get to experience what it's like to play at that level, what can you tell us about what it was like to get out on the field with some of your heroes and and to knock helmets with other teams that you probably had heroes on all on TV with all this pressure what did it feel like, man? Well, like I said, all of that kind of dissipates once you get onto the field. It's like, first of all, you're in the locker room and you look over and they're putting on their shoes and lacing them up just like you are. So they're no different than you are to a certain extent. I mean, they're just people. Yes, in our media makes them bigger than life, but in reality, they're just other people and we're all playing a kid's game is really what it is <laughs> and so getting out there on the field and playing with all these guys to be honest with you for me the starstruck it just goes away really quick because first of all you got bullets flying at you and you don't have time to really admire the guy across the bo- the line of scrimmage from you and you're just worried about making plays, making plays, making plays, and so, and doing your job. So, yes, it definitely was a high, and being on that level, I'll be honest with you, it's a high that I necessarily have not matched since then, except the birth of my son, I would say, which was just two and a half years ago. So, I go back to the biggest transition for an athlete leaving the sport or the game that they love and play is is experiencing that high level of, I don't know if it's euphoria or whatever type of just hormonal release on a field professional level at high speed. It's just the ultimate. So when you step away from the game, it is very difficult to transition into normal life. And I don't know if I've really ever transitioned completely. I mean, there's not a day go by that I don't think about football and playing and the all the shoulda, woulda, couldas. The older I get, I look back and I become a lot more grateful for the time that I did play and the chance that I did have in the NFL and being able to experience that and share it with my friends and share it with my son who's only two and a half now. But that feeling that you have playing on that level is hard to match. But I'm sure that it's out there and I'm striving for that. But definitely having my son born two and a half years ago and really this period of him developing into where he's at now has really brought big satisfaction in my life and really showing me what life is about and so here i am moving on yeah that is quite a story my friend and i'll tell you something just listening to you tell it i could easily see you on stage stadium full of people you sharing your story like that and people being moved by it and i don't know if that's exactly what you want to do or what you're aiming for but man i totally can see that i'm really moved by your story right now i'm sincerely genuinely moved and you know just hearing you talk about that 
it's just very powerful hearing that. I think, you know, even though I'm not really a football fan, right? But just still hearing it, I grew up watching him watch football <laughs> is what I grew up doing. Sure. Yeah, man, I could see you on stage sharing your story and it would be my honor right now to help get your message out to more people. You also have a story that kind of takes a different direction because you went through a period of time where you were in a lot of physical pain and not in the best shape. Here you are, the absolute like model for like performance, a physical athlete performing at the professional level. Then you took a rough turn with physically and you pulled out of that. Can you talk about like what you were doing and how you transitioned from that place where you were sure. all banged up? Sure. So as you know, the sport of football is very violent and therefore we suffer a lot of injuries from the sport. I did suffer injuries throughout my college career and these injuries really came to haunt me after my playing days were over, okay, which is what happens to a lot of former athletes, not just football players, but I just speak from from experience. So I was in a lot of pain. I was in a really bad place. I was suffering from some really back pain, but there was a lot of other pain going on there too throughout the body. But I'll say that I could barely walk from like the age of like 20 seven till about 32. It was just my lower, the pain that I had in my lower back was unbearable. So how I was able to work, I don't even know. I mean, it was basically like ice packs on my back throughout the day, icing down in between clients at night. I mean, I have a pretty high tolerance of pain. So it really went on for a long time. <laughs> I mean, five freaking years, right? Yeah. So... And I was in and out of multiple doctors looking for remedies. I was willing to do surgery on my back with a surgeon that had never done this type of surgery before. I mean, I was at that point where I really needed help. But there was no help conventionally to be given because my condition with my lower back, it was happened to be some my last three discs were gone. They were completely desiccated. I was bone on bone and my back was starting to fuse together naturally. But the big problem was the inflammation that I had going on in my body, not just my back, but overall my entire body. So therefore it was manifesting in all the injuries that I suffered and sustained during the sport of football were really starting to show up afterwards. So uh, finally, I got to the point where I had to look into other methods outside of conventional wisdom. And that's when I met a friend of mine who had a huge impact on my life. It was a woman that had been preaching to me for several years that I needed to change my, my nutrition in order to to heal my back, my back, in order to alleviate my back pain or take away my back pain. And I said to her, I was like, get out of here. I was like, you're kidding me. I mean, there's no such thing. With the background that I come from, everything was pills. So if you were injured, 
Advil, that you were given Advil like on a regular basis, okay? Or, you know, anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs, or even painkillers to a certain extent. So for me to think that I could change my situation through food and lifestyle was absurd. And like I tell you, I list, this woman spoke to me for almost two years before I finally turned to her and said, tell me what to do. It was that bad. I was at the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I could barely walk. I was depressed. And yes, I was still trying to work out, but I was like a wounded warrior and it was awful. It was no way to live life at the age of 32. Okay. It's young. Right. So that's when I just started to make that change after that. So do you want me to elaborate on that as well? Yeah, well, well, you know, I know the story pretty well, but it's got something to do with this new direction you're going in, which is primal living. So can you just talk about why are you so passionate about like this particular approach to to health and how is it affecting you? The reason why I'm so passionate is because I healed myself through food. I did something that I never thought in a million years I would be able to do. So people are like, well, what do you mean you healed yourself through food? Well, number one, in order to reduce pain in your body, you need to reduce the inflammation. So foods that I was consuming were creating a ton of inflammation in my body. In my case, they were grains, as well as some other foods that perhaps I thought were good for me and eating them on a regular basis, but were actually really wreaking havoc on my system. And so by changing my diet, to get into some of the particulars, in my case, by changing my diet and my lifestyle because I need to say it's not just all about the diet and my nutrition, it's also about lifestyle too. So by removing all the grains from my diet and implementing a bunch of healthy fats, which I had never done before. Yeah, fat's bad, right? Right, supposedly. So I was consuming tons of grains And I was on this extremely low fat diet and super high protein as well. And it was just causing tons of inflammation. So this woman, by getting me off all these grains and implementing a bunch of healthy fats and reducing my protein intake to what's really adequate for my body, started to reduce inflammation in my body, which meant my back pain started to ease up. So we're talking within like a month or two, somewhere between a month and a half, I would say to two months. I responded very well. I was fortunate, but I've noticed in some cases, some people respond even quicker than that. So for somebody that's in a lot of pain, when you start to feel improvements with that or reduced pain sensation, it's like being let out of jail. And so when I started to feel better, like being able to like get out of bed and stand up fully erect, right? I started to really feed off of that and really stay committed to this type of lifestyle. So I'm very passionate about it because I was in such a low place and for myself to come out of that hole and be where I'm at today, was a huge success for me because 
I did this all without taking any drugs, any surgery, or any type of uh, toxic supplements. I did this all naturally. And so because of this, I teach these practices to clients, people that I work with, and people that are in this, not just people that are in chronic pain, but also people that just want to feel optimal. All right. So, and yes, I've adapted the primal lifestyle living, which when you really look into it, it really just makes sense. When you look around us and you see where we've evolved to this point, as far as all the engineered foods and and all this crap that's just in front of our face and and on every street corner and in every convenience store that you step into, it's like, this just isn't normal, this isn't right. But when you go back and you look at how our primal ancestors used to live, to me that makes sense. And let me tell you, you and I, we have not changed, all right? Our bodies, our genetics may have changed point zero zero one percent from our primal ancestors till now so the foods and not just the foods but the lifestyle that they maintained is completely different than what we're trying to maintain in today's world and I'll start with just let's take daytime and nighttime for example okay so this is what happens during the daytime primal ancestors were hunting and gathering playing preparing their foods, making good the village, etc. But when night fell, they started to prepare to go to sleep because they didn't have all the extra amenities that we have in today's world. So what does that mean? Okay, so as night falls, all right, as the sun goes down, our brains start to produce, produce melatonin naturally. Our brains produce melatonin, our cortisol levels start to decrease. Melatonin is a hormone that helps us calm, relax, and prepare to go to sleep at night, which is what we're supposed to do, all right? In today's world, what happens is when the sun goes down, we've created this second daytime through artificial lighting, not just artificial lighting, uh, but strip clubs and <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> exactly, clubs, bars, it, it, right? Exactly, restaurants. That's some, a good way of putting for it. Some. A second daytime, yeah. Right. Please continue. Sure. Yeah. So we're definitely, as a society, lacking when it comes to good quality sleep at night because our brains aren't producing the amount of melatonin that it really should be because we're watching TV up until the point till we fall asleep or we're on our handheld device or a computer screen with blue light is just zapping away all the melatonin that we could be producing for us to really sleep and get true reconstructive reparative sleep throughout the night so i'm just picking one aspect out of the primal living that i really learned from and has really helped me tremendously and that was realizing not just nutrition was a huge thing but realizing how important sleep is and how that affects my productivity the next day and it also affects how I'm going to eat the next day too to a certain extent. So uh, deprived sleep will reduce insulin sensitivity by about 30%. So you're craving sugar the next day. So these are the principles that I've really adapted to and I teach people 
and not only to to get out of pain but to also lose weight build muscle and live an, an optimal life yeah no, that's great man and although i share a lot of the similar things because i went through a similar situation with my aches and pains and i lost my sex drive when i was like 30 years old but to hear you explain it the way you just did makes so much sense you know the second daytime i love that i've never heard anybody say it like that but it's so true it's like oh it's nighttime it's time to have fun right right and which is awesome because you and i both love to have fun right right but i'll tell you man if you're having problems with pain, if you're having problems with your sex drive, if you're having problems, you know, losing weight, try going to bed <laughs> early and staying off. Uh, Correct. All those, stay away from the iPhone. You mentioned the TV and, you know, I was watching Giselle the other night. She was just glued to the laptop until it was time to go to bed. Right. And I think a lot of people are like that and they don't make the connection between their behaviors and why don't feel so great in the morning? <laughs> right, right. That's what really jumped out at me, like you said, was it really made sense. It's not like somebody's trying to, you know, make up some fictitious stories about our primal ancestors. I mean, that's what they did. I mean, it right. really wasn't okay. They sat around a campfire, but there was no light. All right. There was no artificial lighting. So these are... And there's no blue light in, in fire, right? <laughs> correct. As far as I know. That's yeah, no, I'm, I just read it the other day. But yeah, right. So anyways, it made real sense to me. And that's why it was easier for me to apply it to my life and my lifestyle. So like you said, a lot of people don't realize why they're not feeling so good or don't have the sex drive that they'd like to have, or they don't have the energy that they would like to have the next day. Well, try sleeping. And I mean sleeping like on a regular basis, seven to eight hours a night. And now listen, that doesn't mean you can't go out and raise hell and party and have fun a night or a month or even a night a week. But if you're getting seven to eight hours on the other six nights, I mean, it really makes a huge difference. I'm not advocating to go out and party, but I'm saying that it really makes a huge difference. Not just one night of eight hours. Wow, I slept eight hours. No, put them, start putting them back to back. When you start putting them back to back, that's for over a period of time, that's when you really feel the results. And you're talking about sex drive and energy and all of that stuff. When you're sleeping properly on a regular basis, the amount of human growth hormone and testosterone production goes up exponentially. So, and what I love is sleep is free. It's <laughs> it's free, all right? It's free. And so what we just have to do is condition ourselves to get this good quality sleep just as we condition ourselves in the gym and etc. So it's not going to happen overnight, but there are it can be done. You know, something that came up for me while while we were discussing this and listening to you is uh, you know, with the sex drive in particular, I've heard interviews and I've actually interviewed people and they were talking about, oh, all these kids watching porn and they're losing their sex drives. I'm like, yeah, there may be something to that. But if you look at what these younger kids doing, they're locked into their phones all the time. They're on their laptops all the time. They eat processed foods. That's what they do. Correct. And they live this sedentary life because now it's not cool to go outside and play like you and I used to do. Right. 
I would do a whole nother show on, by the way, on right. like growing up in Miami. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that will be for another time. But you see the way they're living and they're staying up. They're not sleeping. They're not getting outside and getting enough vitamin D. Yeah. And then it's like, well, how are you going to blame just that thing? You got to look at the more powerful things in someone's life, like sleep, nutrition, exercise, before you go and blame something like that. Not advocating that you watch porn or whatever, but I'm just saying, you got to look at the hierarchy and see what has more of an impact on your body. Man, there's nothing you can do to make up. There's no exercise. There's no supplement. There's no nutrition that you can do to make up for poor sleep. And that was a huge epiphany for me. And I think that's one of the messages that you're really driving home in such a powerful way, man. Yes, because I think it starts with that. So when you suffer from inflammation or you're suffering from being overweight in order to really the best way to accomplish your goals is to start with that and then build off of that and it's going to be a lot your goals are going to be much more attainable and easier to attain if you can start with that and as your priority which I suggest making that a priority. It's going to be a huge problem, especially with children. I'm seeing it now with kids in junior high. All the homework is being given online now. Kids are up. And by the way, as I don't know if you know, and I don't have older kids, but I do have friends that have older kids, like teenagers and stuff, and they give ungodly amount of homework for these children, these kids to do. And they're sitting in front of a computer screen all night trying to complete this homework. And guess what? These kids are having trouble sleeping at night. Hmm. So they're up till 1, 2 in the morning. And then they have to wake up at 7 or 6 in the morning to go to school and try to function all day. I mean, it's like this is a huge problem that I see that's going to be, it's already a problem now and it's going to be a bigger problem in the future because the school systems have no clue about what's going on. Or if they do, they're not caring to address it whatsoever. But that's kids doing all their homework online till the wee hours of the morning and then having to function at school the next day and forget about nutrition and all that. I mean, that's a whole nother scary scenario for kids in schools, right? But so yeah, that's, as you can see, I think it's pretty important. Yeah, I didn't even think about what you just said with the kids. And I have a 16-year-old and I'm going to have a talk with her. I have trained a 16-year-old. I don't have a 16-year-old. I have a 16-year-old client. Mm. I may have some kids in Costa Rica from that one time a few years ago, but I'm not completely (laughs) sure. I'm just kidding, guys. But I have a 16-year-old client and you know, I train her for her mom and her dad and I train her and she's just constantly complaining of lack of energy. And I think you just might have uncovered what yeah. may be her problem. And they don't like to admit it either because they're a little embarrassed. But in addition to the work online, they're also in their computers and their handheld devices till the wee hours of the morning too. So you got to come at them with a good approach. But by explaining to them, I've noticed that that has helped with some kids is is by explaining to them like, listen, this is why you're having trouble sleeping. This is why you're feeling this way. And this one particular girl, she's like a daughter to me. She really wants to get into honors programs. And that's, that's like her, 
her goal. And I said, well, do you want to get into these honors program? I mean, do you want to be at the top of your class? You need to do certain things to do that. It's not just studying. You're going to have to start sleeping at night and you're going to be one of the smartest kids in the class. By doing so, it affects a lot of your cognitive function. So if you're not sleeping good at night, how could you make good decisions in school or even on tests and and for adults, etc.? I mean, for business and making decisions in business and and relationships and etc. The list goes on and on. Yeah, man, I think I could talk to you for like a whole nother five hours about the food because you do all this interesting stuff with food and you reminded me of some things I used to do and I stopped doing and I want to get back into. So I'm very grateful for that, for meeting you and connecting with you. But let's save that for another time. Let's wrap up with a few tips on how people can really get their sleep dialed in. And then we'll share where people can reach out to you for coaching. And yeah, man, but we'll do this more than once. Anyway, so please, the the tips for sleep. Sure. So tips that I give for sleep, like basic tips, is number one, you need to make it a priority. So until you do that, then you're going to really have a hard time you know, following these few tips. So make your sleep a priority. That means if you don't sleep good that night and you're planning on working out at 6 a.m. in the morning, that means that you may have to hit the snooze button and sleep through your workout. And yes, I said sleep through your workout to get the adequate amount of sleep that you need. So now that right there shows me you've made sleep a priority, not working out. That was the big adjustment for me was that because I love work, right? I'm a workout guy, right? We are. So passing on the workout for more sleep is a big one. So making sleep your priority is the number one. So other tips that I like to give is as you're winding down your day and as the sun's starting to go down and the evening is upon us, start to prepare yourself for sleep. That means start wrapping up what you're doing, whether it's related to business or social or family, etc. And this works for people that have children and families. You guys could do it as a whole. So start preparing yourself. Start wrapping up all the, the loose ends so that by the time the sun goes down, you give yourself a good hour or so to really unwind and go to sleep. And so making those steps to prepare, not just working up until the very last second and shutting off the lights and going to sleep is gonna be very difficult. So preparing yourself for sleep. Another one is at home, as the sun goes down, start to dim the lights as well. Dim the lights in the house, low lit, maybe even candlelight will really make a big difference in helping our bodies and our minds prepare for sleep. Try to put a curfew on your computer usage or TV, etc. Try to give yourself an hour before you actually want to go to sleep at night. So trying to shut those things off. Another one for those that, you know, feel like they need to do some things at night, put the dimmer switch all the way down on your handheld devices and also buy a pair of blue blocker glasses or computer glasses that help block out that blue light that will also help. So they're only 15 bucks. Everybody should have a pair of those. A little bit of meditation is good in the evenings to help unwind as well. Those are some good tips for beginner, I think, are are very doable. 
So as far as website and so forth, I'm actually in the process of building a website now. So hopefully pretty soon here I'll be available to do some online coaching and help share with everybody out there a lot more than what I'm talking about today, not just from sleep, but exercise and nutrition and primal living. Let's have them email you because we can get you clients right now. So awesome, Joe. Thank you so much for those tips, man. And I talk about sleep all the time on this show, but I learned something from listening to you. Sorry, my voice is like going a little bit there, but I just learned some more things listening to you. It it sounds like, you know, you just really have embodied this life, that lifestyle that you're talking about. And uh, so thank you. And so for anybody wanting to reach out, and do some coaching with you because we didn't even talk about the nutrition and the training but you are someone who i respect you have a tremendous amount of knowledge about that as well so if anybody wants to reach out for you you know get some coaching where can they reach out to sure you can reach out to me or send me an email at joeydebo at hotmail.com that's j-o-e-y-d-i-b-o at hotmail.com Awesome. And I'll have that in the show notes if anybody wants to go there and check it out. We're actually in the process of building your website right now. Yes. And that's going to be up soon, primaljoe.com. But for now, reach out to Joe on his email if you're interested. He's a guy who's personally helped me. Although, you know, I know a lot about this stuff. It's always good to have someone to talk to who can... Reinforcement. Yeah, reinforcement. (laughs) Honestly, I've learned a lot from... I've been sort of like reminded of some things I used to do, but I've learned a lot from you just talking about this stuff. And it'll be great to have you back on a couple times. We'll talk training, we'll talk nutrition. But Joe, thank you so much for coming here and spending time with us today and sharing that powerful story, man. You you really moved me, dude, and inspired me. Good, thanks for having me. 